0: Good evening and welcome to the latest episode of the Last Chance to Dance podcast. I'm your host, Gus Elvin. My co-host, James Turner, will be on in a minute. Um, big week to talk about. We got Feast Week, one of the best times of the college basketball season. Uh, everyone talks about football when it comes to Thanksgiving, but the last decade or so, a lot of these preseason college basketball tournaments uh, usually end up being better to watch than these football games. So we're really excited for Feast Week. Uh, I'll have James on here to to go into it a little bit more, but we're going to talk feast weeks and preseason tournaments, the mid major teams to watch and some of the best players from smaller conference teams that maybe you should be looking out for this season in college basketball. James, how you doing? How's your week going?
1: Hey Gus, week's going well. Thanksgiving. It's Thursday. Can't wait. Can't wait. I think it's my favorite holiday. Just barely over Christmas. Uh, you get the opportunity to eat tons of really good food. It's encouraged to to drink alcohol and, and watch uh, basketball and football. What more could you want? Most people probably think, too, that uh, around the holidays, you should be going out for, for a run, working out, just because you're eating a lot of food and possibly putting on some pounds. But I say no, no, no. For Feast Week, you sit your butt on that couch, and you watch the plethora of – basketball and football games because it's a unique time of year and most people don't actually know that you can kind of uh, do a little bit of a workout while you're uh, sitting there watching those games for instance when you're getting up to get another beer or some turkey or you have to use the bathroom you're technically doing a little squat when you're getting out of that chair so that's one Uh, another one is when you're making those trips to the kitchen or the bathroom you're probably going to walk between a quarter of a mile, maybe half a mile throughout the day, maybe those two days, that's a little cardio, and finally, every time you're taking a sip of that uh, adult beverage, it's a hammer curl, so you've got hammer curl, squat, and cardio, not too bad of a workout. With that being said, great way to segue into our under-the-microscope topics, which I'm going to throw over to you, Gus.
0: Yeah, so this one, uh, we're recording here on Monday night, for those of you at home, but Going back to last week, uh, my uh, topic was a no brainer for me this week. I'm going with Willie O'Ree uh, in the NHL. Willie was the first black player to ever play in the NHL. Uh, he did so on January 18th, 1958. And for years now, it's been something that's really bothered me. It just seemed like a no brainer from the NHL as a PR move, as rewarding a man who's done so much to give back to the game, who did so much to pave the way for other black players. Uh, Willie really finally got into the Hall of Fame after 60 years. Um, Willie's 83, so it started to look in recent years like maybe he would never get to see it while he was alive. This is such a no-brainer for the NHL. It took way, way, way too long, and it's, it's great to see Willie be able to enjoy it while he's alive. Um, this guy's done so much for the game, like I said, since. Only played 45 games. Uh, He had some injuries and was partially blind in one eye. But he basically covered that up so that he could play in the NHL, which is incredible. Um, And he paved the way for so many players to come beyond him. He also has done so much building hockey in in communities that haven't been uh, hockey communities before, spreading the game to different cultures and different groups of people in different parts of the country. Um, And he's literally dedicated his life to hockey and building the sport. There's a builder category for the Hall of Fame. And nobody deserves to be in there under that label more than Willie O'Ree. Jackie Robinson of hockey. Willie O'Ree is someone that uh, I think never really gets his credit. And it's good to see that when so many people don't get to smell the flowers while well, they can still smell them, Willie O'Ree gets his day in the sun and finally gets kind of his day to show what he did meant to the sport. And and an honor that he truly has deserved for very, very long. He finally gets it. So many players have been pushing for this in recent years, and I just want to say hats off to Willie O'Ree and thank you for everything he's done for the sport, his bravery, and just his commitment to growing the game and helping that one of the best sports in the world get even better and get to more different kinds of people.
1: Yeah, congrats, Willie Uh, O'Ree. Well-deserved and long overdue. My under-the-microscope topic this week is on two college basketball players that set NCAA records in back-to-back days, no less. Josh Williams of Robert Morris and Jordan Lyons of Furman tied the NCAA record with 15 three-pointers in a single game, and they did it in back-to-back games last Wednesday and Thursday. Williams from Robert Morris went for went 15 for 25 from three and actually made his 15th three-pointer almost at the buzzer with 0.7 seconds left. I actually saw the highlights on SportsCenter, and it almost seemed like he, he took the ball from one of his teammates and, and chucked up kind of a fadeaway three, two or three feet beyond the three-point line and made it, even though they had the game well in hand. It was a pretty unbelievable buzzer beater to tie the record. Uh, meanwhile, at Furman, you had Jordan Lyons go 15 for 34. That's right, he shot 34 threes, which... Also set a record for most three-pointers attempted in a game. Owen Furman, two days later, beats Villanova at Finnegan Pavilion. So beat the national champs and also have a player that ties the uh, most three-pointers ever attempted and made in a single game. So job well done to Furman, but job well done to Josh Williams and Jordan Lyons. And one last point. On the topic is the last player to make 15 three-pointers in a game was Marshall's Keith Vennie in 1996. So it's pretty unbelievable. We have two players tie the record back-to-back days, and the last time this happened was in 1996. So job well done to Josh Williams and Jordan Lyons, and I'm sure we're going to see a lot more three-pointers going up this season.
0: Yeah, I think that's a very good Point to bring up how this is something that hadn't been touched in years, and then to do it back to back days kind of just shows the, the way the games changed and uh, the Steph Curry factor, if you will, um, and how the three point shot has really become first and foremost when it comes to college basketball and the NBA basketball. Transitioning into uh, what we're going to be talking about today, we kind of previewed this last week, but Um, We went over some teams outside the top 25. We told you we'd hold off on the mid-majors this episode, and that's what we're going to talk about today. We're each going to look at a few teams we think are coming in under the radar or bringing a lot back and we think can make some noise come March. We're also going to look at some individual players from some other teams, players that are on a team that isn't as good, maybe some other players that have done something major so far this season, Um, and then we'll get into some of the the preseason tournaments after that. But to start off, my first mid-major to watch um, is a team that you guys will probably remember from last year. It's the Buffalo Bulls. Buffalo went 27-9 and last year. They were fourth in the nation in scoring at over 80 points a game. They beat Arizona and DeAndre Ayton in the first round in a uh, kind of a shock upset and really gave uh, Kentucky a game in the second round for about 25 to 30 minutes. But they have their top three scorers back. CJ Massenberg, Jeremy Harris, and Nick Perkins. Massenberg's a guy who is going to be one to watch this season in terms of uh, potentially sneaking on to an All-America team if Buffalo is good enough. Jeremy Harris is another guy who can really do it from the perimeter at 6'7. He had 23 last year against Zona. And Nick Perkins on the front court at 6'8, 250 is a load. Uh, Massenberg had 43 at West Virginia and, and already an upset this year. So Buffalo is legit. They are a team to watch this year. They lo- they bring back three of their top four. Like I said, um, they lose Missouri transfer West Clark, who was an excellent player for them in the tournament run. But with a uh, with three pronged attack and offense like that, and some other good role players and Javon Graves. Yeah, I was Devontae- gonna say,
1: don't forget about Javon Graves. He seems like he's gonna emerge this year. Uh, just watching him against West Virginia showed a ton of athleticism and a lot of ability. So I, I I'm I'm on board with Javon Graves stepping up and and maybe not replacing Wes Clark to fully, but giving them quite a bit off the bench.
0: Yeah, and I think Devontae Jordan's another guy to mention. He's an all defense guy in that league. So maybe they lose a little bit with Wes Clark as an offensive guard, but they might gain a little bit on defense with more minutes for Jordan. Massenberg though is the guy to watch with this team as a six three guard. He averaged over seven rebounds a game last year. And I think that's really the big question with Buffalo is can they rebound the ball well enough? They're very small. They're going to play four guards. And rebounding will be a question. But their guards tend to help out in rebounding, and they can overcome that, which against a team like Arizona, who had a dominant post player in DeAndre Ayton, they were still able to overcome that. This team shoots and makes a lot of threes. They, uh, they really pr- cause a, a nightmare matchup in terms of matching up with their shooters. So Nate Oates and Buffalo, who were snuck into the rankings, um, they were not ranked preseason, but they're in the top 25 after their upset of West Virginia. Uh, I think that's a team to watch. I'd, I'd watch for them to maybe push for close to 30 wins this year. They're going to dominate the MAC, And I think uh, C.J. Massenberg has a very good chance uh, to be the league's player of the year.
1: Moving on, my first mid-major team I wanted to talk about is the St. Jos Hawks out of the Atlantic 10. This team can really score the ball, and they get Charlie Brown and Lamar Kimball back from injuries. This year, last last year, Lamar Kimball played part of the year. Charlie Brown was out uh, for the whole year, so they get both those players back. Charlie Brown, already in the beginning of the season, has showed that he's a dynamic scorer, can get to the hoop, shoot the three, and Lamar Kimball has played pretty well as uh, their starting point guard. They're not that big a team, so they're going to need to get contributions from some of their forwards, Piero Francesco Olivo out of Italy, and Anthony Longpre, their sophomore, who can shoot the ball a little bit, needs to work on his rebounding and inside moves as well. Uh, If they can get some contributions from those two guys, though, uh, they should be a tough team to beat in the Atlantic 10. They lost Javar Newkirk, who averaged over 15 points per game, as well as James Demery. Uh, but I think getting Charlie Brown and LeVar Kimball, as well as freshman Jared Bynum, playing and into the mix, uh, they're going to be able to replace those scores. Jared Bynum is a freshman guard, has shown a ton of ability, can make shots all over the court, and is probably going to be uh, in their starting lineup as well, so... I think those three guards are going to really help them out. You really want to pay attention to the St. Joe's Hawks and the Atlantic 10. For them, it's really going to come down to rebounding and playing solid defense. If they can play solid defense and rebound the ball, I don't think they're going to have a problem scoring. And uh, they're going to be one of the top teams in the Atlantic 10 and are going to be vying for a NCAA tournament bid.
0: Yeah, I think uh, St. Joe's is definitely a team that's, I think, surprised some people. And I think a lot of it is, like you said, there were guys that weren't playing last year that people kind of forgot about. Those guys are healthy again. And Phil Martelli, every couple years, seems to, uh, they have a few down years, but then he kind of bounces back. And it looks like uh, St. Joe's is poised for one of those kind of seasons. Uh, The next team on my list is uh, South Dakota State. This is another team that's coming off an NCAA tournament appearance, TJ Lotzelberger's Uh, Team won 28 games last year. Really took Ohio State uh, down to the wire last year. And they feature one of the best players in the uh, NCAA this year. Uh, Mike Dom, if you haven't seen him, the Dominator, unbelievable last season. He has a chance to go into the top 10 with a good season. If he averages 24 like he did last year, he'll be a top 10 all-time college basketball scorer. Comes off a, a season where he shot 24 points per game, 10 rebounds, 43% from three-point range. He has a good chance, like I said, to go over 3,000 career points this year. He had 27 in the game versus Ohio State, a narrow loss in the first round last year in a 5-12 game. He's already beaten Iowa, Ole Miss, and Buffalo in his career. This year they have a couple chances for upsets as well as they play Nevada, which will be an excellent mid-major matchup, maybe one of the best of the season at Nevada on December 15th. Um, But Dom is the two-time player of the year in the Summit League. He's far from a uh, one-man team here. David Jenkins, a sophomore from Tacoma, was the South Dakota State uh, freshman scoring record last year at over 16 per game. He was the league's freshman of the year, and he's backed for more this year. Tevin King at uh, point guard gives them another option. And Skylar Flatten um, is a guy that can really shoot the ball and will be about a 50% three-point shooter for them. South Dakota State's kind of got off to a little bit of a slow start. They've, they've taken a couple hiccups. They lost at Florida Gulf Coast, which is a tough place to play, and they were upset today versus Tulane. But this is a team that I really like for two reasons. One, Mike Dom is one of the best players in the country and a matchup nightmare for bigger teams. He can really stretch the floor. Um, and I think he's a guy that could have transferred somewhere this year and played right away um, or could have gone to the NBA, but he's back. And I think that's all going to come down to uh, what he does in the tournament. He's back for, for unfinished business. I mean, he has a chance to really put together a special season and cap a special career with maybe an NCAA tournament upset. And the other reason I like this team is they just shoot the ball. I mean, in March, three-point shooting travels. I mean, this is a team, as a team last year, shot 40% from three. Uh, they were top 10 in the country in that, top 10 in scoring last year. They were 11th in fewest turnovers per game. So this is an excellent team of protecting the ball, uh, making jump shots. And like I said, Mike Dom's a guy that can carry a team to a win or two um, and maybe into the second week of an NCAA tournament. They're the overwhelming favorites in the Summit. So watch out for the Jackrabbits as uh, Mike Dom and South Dakota State are are back for more here in 2018-19.
1: Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see if he gets that elusive uh, NCAA tournament win. I have no doubt that they're going to win the Summit, but... Like you said, it's unfinished business. If he if he can get that that NCA tournament win, that's going to be a great way for him to end his college career. My next team on the list is the Northeastern Huskies out of the Colonial. Uh, they're actually picked to win the Colonial preseason by most websites, probably because they bring back an experienced team. I think it's their seven top scorers are all back, and they're led by point guard Vasa Pusica who is uh, transferred from San Diego a few years back, but got off to a great start with Northeastern last year. He averaged 18 points per game and five assists per game. He's a great passer, has great court vision, uh, which is going to bode very well for them, uh, especially their George Washington transfer, Jordan Rowland, who shot 41.7% from three before sitting out last year. He actually made a career-high seven three-pointers in their win over Harvard earlier this year. So he is definitely a name to watch uh, on Northeastern, is going to really give them some more firepower from the outside. Uh, they also bring back reigning Colonial Defensive Player of the Year, Sean Osius, who averaged almost 11 points per game last year. He's currently injured, but when he comes back, he should really offer them a lift both on the offensive and especially on the defensive end. A few more players that they bring back, Donnell Gresham and reigning Colonial Sixth Player of the Year, Bolden Brace, could shoot the ball quite a bit as well. This team has a ton of experience and an elite point guard who could lead them to the top of the Colonial standings. I think it's going to come down to them in College of Charleston, similar to like it, like it did last year. College of Charleston ended up winning the Colonial Conference Tournament, but my money's on Northeastern. They've... They're two and three currently. They've lost some tough games to some good, good, good competition, Davidson being one of them, uh, as well as Virginia, Virginia Tech. Tech. Yeah, Virginia Tech in the uh, Charleston Classic earlier this week. But like I said, they've got OCS who's injured but going to be coming back. And, and when you bring someone who's as important to your team as him, especially on the defensive end of the court, that's really going to help them out. So look out for Northeastern in the Colonial they can get into the tournament, it's all about having good guards. They play a zone defense that they know pretty well, so they could be a team that gets an upset in the tournament if they're able to to beat out the College of Charleston and the Colonial.
0: Yeah, I I think two things really going for Northeastern. Bill Cohen's an excellent head coach, former uh, longtime assistant for Al Skinner at BC. And second, this team has everybody back, and they have a bad taste in their mouth of how the CAA title game went. They were up 20, and they let that slip away last year in almost a catastrophic fashion. So uh, Northeastern definitely has a bad taste in their mouth, and they'll be looking uh, to get over the hump this year and get into the NCAA tournament after gagging a chance away last year. My final team is another team that was in the NCAA tournament last year that brings a lot back, but they do it a little bit differently than my other two teams. My other two were more offensive-minded, three-point shooting squads. UNC Greensboro is my third team. Out of the Southern Conference, obviously a history of that league with some upsets. Davidson, obviously, has been very good in that league in the past before moving to the 8-10. And UNC Greensboro last year nearly pulled off a shocker that people kind of maybe forget about. This team had Gonzaga on the ropes. Um, They end up losing 68-64. Zach Norvell, I believe, had a 3 with under 30 seconds left to uh, give Gonzaga the lead. Greensboro brings back their leading scorer, Francis Alonso from Malaga, Spain. He's the preseason player of the year pick in that league. Their top rebounder, James Dickey, is also back, a guy who averaged 19.8 and two blocks per game. He was a defensive player of the year in the SOCON last year. And Demetrius Troy, the team's top assist man, is also back, seven points per game, four assists for him last year. Add in Isaiah Miller and Kyron Galloway, who's taken a huge jump so far this year. He's averaging 16 and six, uh, really making a, a big jump this year. He looks like he's going to be a real player for them. But Alonzo, I think, is the guy to watch for this team. Uh, a very good shooter. A guy who can really get his shot. Um, and he, coming off a year where he averaged 16, he's averaging close to 22 so far this season. They nearly uh, took out LSU at LSU early in the season, their second game. They gave them a real tough one. Um, and I think this team is poised for some success. West Miller, uh, former North Carolina walk-on, who was actually oh, yeah. a player, a player <laughs> I used to really enjoy as he had that one year where he got real hot after transferring in from James Madison. and ends, ends up winning an NCAA title with UNC. I, think he, I believe he was technically a starter on that team, but won an NCAA title as a uh, walk-on at UNC to transfer from Madison. He's one of the youngest coaches in college basketball. Pretty much brings a team here that they preach defense. They get after you. They pick up uh, the length of the floor. They are one of the better teams um, in terms of shooting percentage defense. They were 24th last year at 41%, 21st in three-point D last year at 32%, ninth in scoring D at 63.5 points per game, and 47th in terms of forcing about 15 turnovers per game. So UNC Greensboro is a team that likes to play fast. They like to turn you over. And with a scorer like Alonzo, who I think uh, last year against Gonzaga opened up a lot of people's eyes, I think the uh, Spartans out of the SoCon, uh, if they're able to navigate that league and win their one bid, Uh, Could be a a scary team. They Gave LSU a game. Watch out, they play Kentucky on December 1st at Lexington. That'll be an interesting matchup as Kentucky hasn't looked like world beaters just yet.
1: Yeah, I I agree with you on Wes Miller. He was fun to watch at uh, North Carolina. Arguably more important to the Tar Heels than Marcus Page, but we'll save that argument for another day. My final mid-major team I wanted to talk about is Western Kentucky out of Conference USA. When we talk about loaded mid-major teams, this team is loaded, and that pretty much has to do with uh, Rick Stansberry, the, uh, what, would you say the best recruiter there is in college basketball right now, or I I don't know, not the cleanest, not the cleanest? I would say a checkered
0: checkered recruiter, (laughs) I think, would be, uh, for anyone who remembers those Mississippi State teams with Renardo Sidney and... Uh, Ray Vernon Johnson, D Boss. There was uh, some some sketchy stuff going on there. It looks like we might have some more at Western Kentucky. That top recruits two years in a row seems a little
1: bit interesting for
0: a team in Conference USA.
1: Hey, you know what? If if they uh, if they win some games in March, who cares? The uh, the violations will come later. But uh, yeah, Renardo Sidney came out and said that his uh, parents got paid by uh, Mississippi State and Rick Stansberry. No kidding, Renardo. That was kind of obvious, but. So Rick Stansberry, we'll see how he does with uh, this group. But for now, they're uh, all systems go and, and clean, ready to go ahead. They lose three of their top five players. Darius Thompson, who was a grad transfer from Virginia. Dwight Colby, who came from Kansas. And Justin Johnson. And I think they're arguably, they could have a better team this year. They've got sophomore Tavion Hollingsworth, the Hilltoppers' leading returning scorer. And averaged 13.3 points per game. Another he, top 100 recruit. Yep. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure what uh, Western Kentucky brings to the table for that. But not a, I'm not going to argue about him going over there rather than some other top uh, Power 5 conference team. But yep, he's with the Hilltoppers. Back for his sophomore season. He forms a dynamic backcourt with fifth-year senior and former uh, Buffalo Bulls guard Lamonte Bearden, who, unfortunately, he is suspended for the first semester. If you got a chance to see him last year or at Buffalo, he's a dynamic uh, lefty guard, can shoot the ball, get in, get in the lane, kind of a wiry type player, but really fun to watch. So he's out for the first semester, but he'll be back, I think, in December or January, and uh, Josh Anderson, who is a sophomore, is going to uh, replace him in the starting lineup. He averaged seven points per game last year. Should be able to fill the role uh, that Lamonte Bearden's leaving open for the for this uh, first semester. Not going to play probably as well as Lamonte, but he should be able to at least fill the gap for now. The Hilltoppers bring two uh, newcomers to the front court and. Are, those two are probably going to form the best front court in Conference USA without question. Auburn grad transferred Deshaun Murray. He averaged uh, 10 and 7 in the SEC last year. He should feast down low, rebounding scoring in Conference USA. And he's joined by five star recruit Charles Bassey, who reclassified into the 2018 class so he could play this year. Bassey's probably going to be a double double machine, and I imagine a force down low getting plenty of blocks in Conference USA. Another player to mention is 6'5 guard Jared Savage, who transferred from Austin P and averaged 10 points per game. Uh, he's a big guard who can shoot, rebound. He looks the part, um, another dynamic scorer that they have. So not only will the Hilltoppers have the best front court in the league, but they're also probably going to boast. Th- One of, if not the best, backcourts with Hollingsworth and Bearden. In my opinion, the only thing standing in this team's way from getting to the NCAA tournament is John Elmore and Marshall, who most people watched the NCAA tournament last year, saw them upset Wichita State. They bring back a strong squad, and I think they're going to be the Hilltoppers' toughest competition, although Conference USA early in the season has gotten um, some big wins. So uh, the league may be tougher than we think, but if the Hilltoppers can get into the tournament, they're going to be a team that nobody wants to play in March. They boast a lineup that could technically be in one of the Power Five conferences with Bearden, Hollingsworth, Bassey, Murray, as well as as uh, oh, as well as Jared Savage.
0: So now that we've talked about a few teams, as a disclaimer, we're going to talk about some players, but uh, we're going to leave out players that we mentioned in one of our teams. So Mike Dom. CJ Massenberg, guys that we've talked about in some of our teams, Tavion Hollingsworth. We're gonna leave them out just to give you guys a bigger sample size, some more players to keep an eye on. First on my list is a uh, a little bit biased on my end. I'm gonna go with Kellen Grady from Davidson. This young man, went, this young man went to my high school actually, uh, ten years after I went there, but. Uh, won a state championship at Catholic Memorial in West Roxbury. Played for Dennis Tobin, legendary coach. Dennis the Iceman Tobin, over 300 wins. Massachusetts High School basketball, a couple state titles. Basically, this is an interesting kid because he had bigger offers but chose Davidson because he is such a Steph Curry fan. There's actually a good picture. Maybe we'll tweet it out on the account later, but there's a good picture of Grady when he met Curry years ago and then last year when they were when he was playing at Davidson and Curry was at a game. Really cool story how this kid basically fell in love with Steph Curry and Davidson one year when they met on that NCAA tournament run. He's back. Uh, He was the freshman of the year in the league last year at about 16 points per game, 6'5 score. He's going to be a potential first-round draft pick uh, next year, sophomore. Last year, he was the second fiddle uh, to Peyton Aldridge at Davidson. This year, he's going to be the main guy. Uh, They have Joe Axel Goodmanson back as well, but this is Grady's team now as a sophomore, um, and he's a dangerous slasher that can really get into a groove as a scorer. Watch out for Grady this year. I think he can be about a 20-point-per-game scorer for Davidson. He was one of the leading scorers last year in the country for freshmen. And on a team that is expected to contend for a turning bit out of the A-10, uh, I'd look out for uh, for Kellen Grady to be a breakout player and maybe the A-10 player of the year if he takes the jump that many expect him to um, with Peyton Aldridge having graduated.
1: So, you said that uh, Kellen Grady holds the scoring title at a, or at a no, Captain Morrell. No, he doesn't? He doesn't? No. Do you? No. I had zero career points, James. Oh, yeah. He played hockey. Forgot. Another fun fact about Kellen Grady, I don't know. You probably have noticed this. I think he's the doppelganger to Deli Alley of uh, Tottenham Hotspurs. Any listeners who uh, watch the Premier League, he looks just like him. But yeah, Kellen Grady really dominated. I mean, even with Peyton Aldridge last year, you could tell that. He was a he was a great second scorer to Peyton Aldridge last year, and is going to uh, take the next step, I would imagine, with Davidson this year. Uh, for me, my player to watch is uh, Fletcher McGee out of Wofford, or as I like to call him, Fletch. He's arguably the best shooter in the country, averaging forty four point three percent from three for his career and twenty two points per game last year. Wofford played UNC. Uh, in their opener at home, and played pretty well but didn't get the win, Uh, unlike last year where Fletch scored 27 points and he led the Terriers uh, to victory in the Dean Dome, which was a pretty unbelievable victory. He's going to be eyeing back-to-back SoCon Player of the Year awards, but I'm sure he'd rather uh, get a trip to the NCAA tournament. Unfortunately for Fletch, the SoCon is going to be a tough league to get a bid in, as you mentioned, you've got UNC Greensboro, East Tennessee State's a solid team, and Furman has beaten two of last year's Final Four teams. But if anyone can lead those Terriers, it's good old flesh. So he's a great shooter, great player. Uh, it's just going to be interesting to see if they're going to be able to get over the hump in the SoCon, which is uh, really talented this year.
0: My next player is a, another guard, um, more of a combo guard uh, than Grady. He's This guy's mo- primarily a point guard at the college level. DeMarcus Simons at Georgia State, another player who last year played in the NCAA tournament. If you notice, that's probably been a theme here. I'm, I'm big on experience and guys that have come back. Simons last year was 21 points per game, six rebounds, four assists, and two steals. He was the Sun Belt Player of the Year. The year before, he was the Sun Belt Freshman of the Year. And this is a guy who has a chance to play at the next level. He will be selected next summer's draft. He had 24 last year in their loss to Cincinnati. A six-three point guard who can really get to the rim. Tough guy to check. Basically, he's a jump shot away from being uh, unguardable. Um, so far this year, it looks like his jump shot's come along. He's averaging about 22 points per game and shooting 38%. Um, pretty small sample size, but he already has 11 made threes this year. And last year, that was kind of the only thing stopping. And he was an under 30% three-point shooter. Georgia State has the chance to come out of the Uh, Sunbelt this year. Not the favorites, but with Simons, the best player in the league back, I think he's going to have a huge year individually, and I think he gives Ron Hunter's squad a chance to potentially get back to the big dance for the second straight year. If you haven't seen DeMarcus Simons play, please check him out. He is a dynamic, dynamic player. Uh, They have a couple games coming up here that are worth watching. They play at Alabama on December 4th, and they play in Manhattan, Kansas at uh, Kansas State on December 15th. So DeMarcus Simons, worth a watch. Uh, look out for him and, and expect him to be a name called uh, next year's NBA draft.
1: Okay, so my next mid-major player is Chris Clemens out of Campbell. All this guy does is score. Uh, at 5'9", he's one of the more electric college basketball players. Uh, he averages, He's averaged 25 points per game over the last two seasons, which is pretty unbelievable. He is so efficient uh, but shoots a high volume of shots. He's a great player. Unfortunately, on not a great team. Most people thought they might take the next step next year just with, with him on the court, but it didn't really happen. I don't see it happening this year either. But he's a great player, great scorer, really fun to watch, especially because he's five nine and scoring 25 points per game.
0: And he'll dunk on you.
1: Yeah, yeah. Reminds me of uh, a player I I loved watching when I was younger uh, in the NCAA tournament at East Tennessee State, Timmy Smith who I think is a little smaller than Chris Clemens, but just had that bulldog mentality like Chris does. So enjoy the Chris Clemens show because this is going to be the last year you're going to be able to see it with him being a senior and maybe off to the NBA next year.
0: Yeah, with uh, with the way Campbell is like set up this year, don't be surprised if Clemens chases 30 points per game. He has a legit chance. They're, they're going to get him as many shots as he wants, and he's going to try to carry them. And, and again, this is one of those leagues where the regular season record isn't, as, isn't really as important. It's going to come down to that Big South tournament. And a guy like Chris Clemens can get hot for a couple of days and make a run. So you never know. Uh, maybe the NCAA tournament, they're not favored to get there. But this is a guy who could carry a team and potentially get him in. But look out for him to be one of the nation's leading scorers this year for sure. Uh, my final player comes from a team that I just tend to like every year. The Belmont Bruins. I think Rick Bird, for me, for me, is one of the best offensive coaches in college basketball, has been there forever. Um, and he uh, has had good teams over the years. He's put players into the NBA. Um, and I just think that Belmont's next great player is currently on campus, Dylan Windler, a guy who kind of plays on the perimeter at 6'8", but can really shoot the ball, uh, stretch player. Last year averaged 17-9 and nine for the Bruins, who were upset in their conference tournament. 42% from three-point range. This year, he's already uh, averaging 20-7 and seven early in the season, has a 34-point game under his belt against Middle Tennessee State, um, and also scored 20 against an Illinois State team that many think are going to come out of the Missouri Valley. Belmont's 3-0 and so far this year. They're always a very fun offensive team to watch. They can always shoot the three, and they're always going to put up points. They're averaging 93 points per game through three games. So Belmont's a, clearly a fun team to watch. A team you mentioned, Western Kentucky. Um, that'll be an interesting matchup to see Windler against Bassey and Hollingsworth. They also play at UCLA and at Purdue. So uh, Rick Bird's Bruins are, are an interesting team to watch. And Windler is a guy that's really coming on and starting to create some buzz as a potential maybe stretch forward at the NBA level. Belmont seems to have one of these star players every year. And I think uh, Dylan Windler out of Indianapolis as a senior is a chance to really be that player this year for the uh, Belmont Bruins.
1: And my final mid-major player that I want to talk about is John Elmore out of Marshall, who plays in the up-tempo Rise and Fire from 3 style of Dan D'Antoni, runs the same style as Brother Mike, also goes with the uh, t-shirt and blazer look. which One of the most
0: stylish guys in college basketball this year. Watch out, Jay Wright.
1: Yeah, which 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 I love. I I, I would prefer the uh, the turtleneck and the uh, and the jacket, but while T-shirts on, pretty. While we're on
0: that, Rick Bird, another style guy with the uh, the little
1: vest. Yeah. And Bob Huggins with that uh, pullover uh, sweatsuit.
0: <laughs> we're gonna have to do a bracket for style my stylist style coaches for sure. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Different. In another episode, we'll do that. But um, yeah. Back to John Elmore. There's no other way to say it. John Elmore is just a terrific basketball player. Uh, you would think in that up-tempo style, shooting shooting threes, that he'd only be kind of a one-dimensional player. But not only did he nearly average 23 points per game, but he also averaged almost six rebounds and almost seven assists per game. Makes winning plays, uh, gets his teammates involved in the game, and that type of play That type of play from him helped lead them to beat Wichita State last year in the NCAA tournament in a really fun game to watch. We'll see if he can uh, finish his senior year and get another trip to the NCAA tournament. Like I said, Conference USA is tough this year, especially with Western Kentucky, who previewed earlier. But John Elmore and the Marshall Thundering Herd are a team to watch for sure in Conference USA. And if they can get to the tournament, they're going to be another uh, pop pick for an upset. I would imagine, similar to last year.
0: Yeah, I think I think that's the bingo when you said a potential upset team. Everyone talks about guards in March and having guards. You have John Elmore and his running mate, C.J. Burks. There's not many even major conference teams that can boast a backcourt like that. So if Marshall are to get in, nobody's going to want to draw them as their two guards are veterans who are as good as any combo you're going to find in the country. That'll do it for kind of our, our preseason preview in terms of the mid-majors and some of the players to watch. Now we're going to go into and recap kind of a couple of the early season tournaments that are already over, um, and then we'll take a look at a couple bigger ones that are coming up this week uh, during Feast Week. So first off, we'll start with the Charleston Classic. James, what did you think of this tournament? What was your big, biggest takeaway?
1: My biggest takeaway was that we got the two best teams played in the final, and it was on last night. If you got a chance to watch it, it was honestly a great game. You had mm-hmm. Purdue against Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech been playing really good defense for the, this year and has players all over the court that can score, especially um, Alexander. And then they've also got a lot of other good players and they're out They're they're playing without Chris Clark, who's a, who's a big-time player for them, especially last year. Justin Robinson, is, I think he had the most assists in the ACC last year. He's a great point guard and, and helped bring them back when they were down 12 points in the first half. Uh, kind of spurred a huge comeback uh, last night, and Virginia Tech ended up beating Carson Edwards and uh, Purdue. Carson Edwards also had a crazy dunk in that game last night. If you didn't get a chance to see it, I would recommend that you get on your computer and check out the highlights from the game. Uh it really was an awesome game. Nate Blackshear was in foul trouble in the first half. He was really big in the second half when he came back into the game and helped uh lead Virginia Tech to the championship. What did you what did you think of Charleston yeah. Classic Gus? We've
0: been following our betting picks here on uh Virginia Tech here. Good uh, shout out. Yep. I, I will say So far this season, Virginia Tech's a team that I think I might have underestimated. Basically, I thought they were very balanced, and they've proven that. But I was a little worried they didn't have that one star. But so far this year, they've been very balanced, and they've been extremely impressive. Like you said, Chris Clark, that suspension, that'll be interesting to see what happens there. But with or without, him, Virginia Tech looks to be a team that means business. here. Four guys averaging over 14 a game so far this year. Kerry Blackshear and Ahmed Hill. Justin Robinson and Nikel Alexander-Walker, who's averaging 22 and, and looking like one of the bigger breakout players this year. This team's making a ton of threes, and like you said, they were down in that game and they were able to come back. Buzz Williams is, is going to be able to coach him up, and it looks like this might be the best team he's had since leaving Marquette for Blacksburg a few years ago. Virginia Tech looks to be a, uh, a team that's better than maybe we projected and a team that might have something to say about how the ACC plays out.
1: Yeah, for sure. And they also don't have uh, Landers, Nolly 2, who's out for them, but potentially coming back later this year. So those are two two pieces that will be coming back for a team that's already shown us that they're going to be a team to be reckoned with in uh, the ACC. So moving on to the Myrtle Beach Invitational, Gus, what did you think of this tournament? Had a, had a couple big names, I would say, good teams.
0: Yeah, uh, I think... One, your preseason pick of UCF looks pretty good. They were impressive here.
1: What'd you different, expect?
0: Yeah, different, yeah. Come on. <laughs> different players uh, that are back from injury and, and BJ Taylor, Taco Fall. Aubrey Dawkins looks good, who we said was a huge question mark for them. Aubrey Dawkins looks like he he could be an All-American conference uh lead guy, Terrell Allen. This is a a very impressive team that that ran through this tournament fairly easily, to be honest. I mean, they they beat a very good St. Joe's team. They pulled away from them. And then to beat Western Kentucky in the final. My other takeaway from this tournament is on the other end where West Virginia was a team that a lot of people had uh, as a top 15 team to begin the year couple slip-ups already. They they lost to Buffalo at home who again is a very good team. And they were upset by Western Kentucky in this tournament. They beat St. Joe's in the bounce back game, but Bob Huggins, his team uh, lost a lot in the backcourt um, and they, they were relying on certain people uh, to step up. Beetle Bolden being one, uh, Issa Mod, Lamont West. Uh, those guys haven't, uh, I guess, hit full stride yet. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how West Virginia does. Obviously, Turning teams over is their uh, bread and butter. But Javon Carter and Daxter Miles are gone, and it looks like West Virginia is having a little bit of a tough time replacing them to start. A lot of people assume Bolden would would slide right in, and take that job, and lead them in scoring. But so far, it's been a little bit of a slow start for, uh, for Bob Huggins and Co. in the Big 12. But that would be my other takeaway here. I expected to see UCF West Virginia um, in the final, but Western Kentucky kind of threw a little spoiler in there. And I think West Virginia is a team that, isn't ready to hit good stride and UCF in their hands, a team that's really been impressive despite an early upset loss to FIU where they, they blew a big lead.
1: Yeah. They've seemed to, uh, yeah, kind of put that in their rear view and played well ever since. Uh, one thing, just a quick takeaway from this tournament was, uh, for UCF BJ Taylor hasn't had in this tournament, didn't really have a game where, uh, he was the leading scorer or was the best player on the court. I was really impressed with, like you said, Terrell Allen and Aubrey Dawkins really stepped up for them. And then you're going to get a heavy dose of Taco Fall as well in any game you play uh, against UCF. So they, the fact that they're getting scoring from other, other guys besides Taco Fall and B.J. Taylor is uh, is great for UCF fans. And then uh, I completely agree with you on West Virginia. If you remember with my preseason picks, I I, I liked Kansas State as the second best team in the Big 12 to me, West Virginia just—it's—it's it's too with with their type of play. It's really tough to replace two starting guards and uh, Lamonte West. Obviously, I think is stepping up this year and is going to have a big year. But it's going to be interesting to see, like you said, about Bolden if he can step in there and uh, and replace uh, Javon Garter and Miles as well. And then one last thing with Western Kentucky. As we're saying, West Virginia didn't play that well, but West Western Kentucky give him credit. They beat. They beat a uh, Big 12 team without Lamonte Bearden, and Hollingsworth seems to look, or is looking pretty good so far in the early season. He's kind of started right where he left off last year, so uh, keep an eye on Western Kentucky. But UCF kind of put them in their place in the championship game. But yeah, good for UCF to get over that loss to Florida Atlantic and uh, and move on in the right direction. So. <laughs> With that, we're going to move on to some big tournaments that are going to be taking place over Feast Week. One of them is actually going on right now, but the others will be occurring while you're eating some turkey and uh, having a beer. But to start us off, the first tournament we want to talk about is the Maui Invitational, which has a loaded field. The teams are Auburn, Xavier, Duke, San Diego State, arizona iowa state gonzaga and illinois no chaminade this year which is a bit of a shame but uh i'll take a loaded uh a loaded field without chaminade uh i'm sure sure
0: ralph Sampson doesn't miss him (laughs) yeah
1: yeah (laughs) so i guess we'll kind of go through the matchups and kind of pick our winners give any thoughts on any of the teams and any of the matchups as we go through it but to start auburn against xavier uh, we're recording right after this game actually took place. I think we both would have picked Auburn to win this game, and, and Xavier kept it closer than I think most people thought. Game went into overtime. You have players on Xavier like Paul Scruggs played pretty well, but uh, I was really impressed with Jared Harper on uh, Auburn's side. He uh, he played great and had a ridiculous dunk.
0: Yeah, he's very Chris, uh, Chris Clemens-like in terms of uh, the size and the way he can dunk the basketball. That was one of the better plays so far this season. Um, but, yeah, I think first thing that looks – everyone's going to circle this and say Gonzaga, Duke in the final is what everyone wants to see. But Auburn, I think, is that third team to watch here. Like you said, they got tested today. They, they were taken to the wire. Um, they had two of their big guys foul out, and I think it was actually more of a positive. Uh, Horace Spencer gave them some really good minutes. Yeah, he
1: played well, yeah.
0: Replacing uh, Wiley and Macklemore, who both had fouled out. Harper and Brown – Combined for 51. Obviously, we know how good of a backcourt that duo can be. And I think kind of Auburn kind of got a test today, and I think they came through it okay. They survived. They were they kind of got punched in the mouth, and they punched back in overtime. And I think this kind of gives them a real opportunity to to make a name for themselves in this tournament. I don't know if you want to play Duke right now, but uh, they get a chance to take on the Monstars tomorrow. Yeah, I was about um, to say we'll
1: we'll see how and, they do against them. But... And
0: again, Duke's looks almost unbeatable so so far, but Auburn will be a much tougher test uh, than I think anyone they've played so far. Kentucky looks very young and and had a lot to improve. Army, Eastern Michigan are obviously teams well below the talent level. And San Diego State's a very offensively challenged team that competed, but just wasn't able to hang with Duke's athleticism and talent. So Auburn, Duke, I think is a marquee game to watch for tomorrow. And I think that's kind of the third, potentially the second best game in this bracket. I think everyone wants that Duke Gonzaga yeah. collision course in the final. Two potential Final Four teams facing off in a preseason tournament. Pretty, pretty crazy. And also, uh, just an interesting nugget, Duke is now 16-0 and in the Mount Invitational. Has actually never lost a game at that uh, gym. So that's a pretty unique note, and especially in a very good tournament like the Mount Invitational.
1: Yeah, when you look at the bottom of this bracket, I think Gonzaga is a pretty easy road to the final. Arizona, Iowa State, I think that's kind of a toss-up game. Iowa State's going to be without Lindell, Winginton, but uh, Gonzaga gets Illinois, and then the winner of that game. I don't think they'll have problems with either one, but that sets up either probably a, a Duke-Gonzaga final, one versus three, which should be a great early, uh, early non-conference game. Even if it's Auburn-Gonzaga, that's going to be a great game, too. So I think most people are thinking Duke-Gonzaga— I can't pick against Duke just because they look unbeatable. So my my champion coming out of this tournament's Duke. I, I assume yours is the same, right, Gus?
0: Uh, I actually, if if it gets to Gonzaga, Duke, I, I think I might take Gonzaga. I think Duke. It's just a classic matchup of youth versus experience. Obviously, the athleticism is going to be yeah, that's true. Going to be different, but Gonzaga's been to a Final Four. All these guys have played big games. Perkins, Norvell in the backcourt. Uh, Brandon Clark, we who have talked about a lot in this program up front. You talk about Rui, and th- this is against Zagatino's oh, loaded, And I Rui. think they can really put some pressure on Duke, and they can make them look human. Duke hasn't been punched in the mouth yet. They were beating Kentucky from pretty much the opening 30 seconds. So it would be interesting to see this, this kind of matchup where the young team plays an older team. Like you said, Iowa State's going to be missing Lendell Wiginton against Arizona, so that kind of takes a little bit of a damper out of that game. Duke Gonzaga and Zaga, to me, would be an unbelievable final, potentially top five regular season game this year. Give me Gonzaga; I'll, I'll take, I'll go with the upset, and, and right. I'll take the veteran team and a mark few to get it done and end right. Coach K's perfect record at uh, in the Mile Invitational.
1: Nice, I like it. Rui Zion matchup would be awesome too. That that's must. I mean, not just the the game in general, but that's I think must. My thing with CTV. Duke is.
0: Their teams are making them be shooting team, and that's usually that's supposed to be the weakness. And so far, they're they're making jump shots. So if they're going to shoot like they have been, I don't know if anyone can beat this team all year. But San Diego State made them be jump shooters today, and it just it still didn't work. I mean, Duke's that good, and I think sooner or later that's going to even out. And I think Duke's going to have an off shooting night. So give me give me Duke uh, Gonzaga for an upset in the final.
1: All right. So moving on to. Next Feast Week tournament, which is the Battle for Atlantis tournament starts on Wednesday, the 21st and goes through Friday, the 23rd. So you get to uh, enjoy watching some of these games uh, on Thanksgiving, which is always a treat. I'll run through the teams real quick. Florida, Oklahoma, Wisconsin, Stanford, Butler, Dayton, Virginia and Middle Tennessee State. So what kind of sticks out for you in this tournament, Gus?
0: I think we have a chance for the most boring college basketball game of all time in the final. I think that's what sticks out to me first. Middle uh, Tennessee
1: State versus Oklahoma?
0: No, uh, oh. I'm going to go with Virginia-Wisconsin. That could be a <laughs> yeah. real rock fight. First to 50 wins. <laughs> uh, that could set basketball back for 10 years. That's the final. But on paper, I think those are the two best teams here. Oklahoma's in a rebuilding year after losing Trey Young. Florida lost a lot from a mediocre team last year. Stanford has some young talent, but they have to replace Reed Travis. Yep. Butler's also a team that's on the younger end. Dayton uh, is in a rebuilding year. And Middle Tennessee State is a team that, uh, while they're a tough team to play against in terms of style, uh, this is not the best team they've had either. Uh, so I, I think Wisconsin and Virginia are the two best teams. Uh, and that would be a very interesting final in terms of uh, a chess match and how the game's played at pace as it'd be two teams that like to play slow playing against each other but it definitely not going to be a good one on the eyes as that could be a literal first to 46 first to 47 kind of game both those teams play very slow and very deliberately
1: yeah just to add to that uh i'm looking in the final would be friday at 2 p.m which slow paced game day after thanksgiving in the afternoon throw the game on and fall asleep and take a nap and wake up and see what the score is at the end. <laughs> Another interesting nugget with this tournament, I think, is the second round has the potential for a Florida-Wisconsin rematch from last year's NCAA tournament where I'm sure you all saw Chris, it was last year's tournament, wasn't it? Chris Chioza? was that two tournaments <coughs> ago? Two tournaments two ago. ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But still, I'm sure Wisconsin fans are still pretty upset about that Chris Chio's a buzzer beater. So, be kind of fun to see uh, that rematch. Wisconsin to me looks like a Big Ten contender. Watching uh, watching them against Xavier earlier this year and just reading up on them leading up to the season, they look like a, a team that's that's got a chance to to win the Big Ten. I think there's a number of teams that are competing for the Big Ten title this year. So, yeah, keep an eye out for that matchup. But. Like Gus said, Ethan, I, I think Ethan Hap
0: first. DeAndre Hunter could be interesting, though. That's, uh, yeah. Ethan, Ethan Hap, for all he lacks in athleticism, he's a very, very crafty player um, and one of the better big men, fundamental big men in college basketball. This is going to be a big turnaround here. Last year, they weren't very good. So it'll be nice to see Ethan Hap on a team that's competitive again because uh, he's one of the better players in the Big Ten. Hap is putting up ridiculous numbers this year. If anyone has been paying attention, 18, 12, and 8. I mean, what else do you want from the guy? He, he'll paint your fence. He'll, uh, he'll deliver your mail. They're literally doing it all right now for Greg Gard's team. The 6'10", senior, um, having a big year for Wisconsin. Demetri Trice, who people will remember as brother Travis at Michigan State, has also had a very good start to the season, hitting the three ball. Wisconsin might be back. It's a big year for Greg Gard. Um, he's kind of on the hot seat. They've got off to a pretty good start. The win at Xavier was impressive, especially having seen Xavier play against Auburn. So I think Wisconsin's a team I'd, I'd be really intrigued to see. We kind of know what Virginia is, but uh, Wisconsin's it's a, a team that can make a real name for themselves and, and kind of put down a marker for the rest of the Big Ten uh, if they were to maybe uh, make a run here and win this.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. Ethan Happ, he could paint your fence. He could deliver your mail. He could also steal your girl. Steal your girl. So, yeah, watch out for Ethan Happ. So that's the... Battle for Atlantis, I guess, who, who do you think is going to win, Wisconsin or Virginia?
0: I'll take Virginia. Uh, I just think their path is pretty easy to the final, and very few teams can beat Virginia at their own game. Virginia usually struggles with the teams that try to run on them and the teams that maybe speed them up a little bit. Playing against Wisconsin is like playing against themselves at practice. I'll go with the more proven team, I would say, in Virginia, uh, Kyle Guy, Ty Jerome, uh, two guys that can really shoot it. i, I go with Virginia's backcourt as a little bit of an edge over davidson and trice and i think virginia wins a closer but like i said first to 50 wins but give me the uh the who's to win it in uh in the bahamas
1: all right i'm going with uh wisconsin and mr steal your girl ethan hap so we uh we don't agree on uh the, the winners of those two tournaments so we'll see how those pan out uh finally the nit season tip-off uh, it's only four teams in Brooklyn uh, starting Wednesday and going through Friday, but it's it's going to be four great games, Louisville, Tennessee, and then Marquette, Kansas. I think m- most people are expecting Tennessee, Kansas in the final, which should be a great matchup. Like I said before, I like Tennessee's team this year, especially the way that they played last year. Lots of experience, play really good defense, uh, just some big hard-nosed players that get in your face.
0: This could be a uh, real physical game.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, Louisville, though, a lot of question marks with Chris Mack coming in, but I think a lot of people are actually surprised at how well they've played so far in the beginning of the year. So this will be their real first test and and probably get a pretty good game between Louisville and Tennessee. Chris Mack's a great coach, so I imagine that they're going to be ready to go and, and pretty fired up to, to show the country uh, just how good they are. And then Marquette and Kansas, uh, we know what Marquette is. They're getting out and shooting, shooting jump shots, mostly offense. We were hoping to see more defense from them, but watching that game against Indiana and some of their earlier games, the defense hasn't really, hasn't really picked up like we had hoped, but this team gets hot. They can beat anybody. So it's, it's going to be two great matchups. And I think, I think we're all hoping for um, a, a Tennessee, Kansas matchup. I, I, I still like Kansas with kind of the dynamic guards that they have in Quentin Grimes and, and, and Devin Dotson, the two freshmen. And then, Tedrick Lawson download and as a Buki as well. So, but what are your thoughts on the four team kind of tournament?
0: That's exactly what I would have said for Louisville. Is you kind of don't know what to expect. They haven't really had to play anybody yet, so I think it's still uh, very much open to what they are this year. Uh, I don't think many people are projecting them to be a tournament team, but you never know. They do have some talent. Uh, Jordan Awards started really well for them. B.J. King was a big recruit. Stephen Enoch, the transfer from Yukon, uh, has come in and, and averaged 14 for them so far. But like you said, we have Louisville hasn't been tested that too much yet. Nickel State Southern, I and mean, they got a good game from Vermont. Tennessee's a big step up in uh in talent and, and in terms of an opponent. Um and going against a, a front court with Grant Williams will be tough. I go with Tennessee in that game, and I think even though it's just a rivalry, maybe Louisville will be able to keep it close for a closer while. I think Tennessee bigger, stronger and more experienced in the front court. In the other game, I I just don't see Marquette being able to hang with Kansas. Like Mar- Marquette has a one great scorer here in Marcus Howard, but I just don't think they have the full team around him.
1: What about uh, the Hauser I, Hauser brothers?
0: I uh, I don't think the Hauser brothers are going to be in for a very good day against the Jayhawks. I'll take Kansas front court in that game. I don't know who in Marquette is checking, Dejrick Lawson. Uh, I think Azubuki is a real problem here as well for Marquette. The guards just have to play well enough, which I think so far they have for Kansas, the youngsters, Grimes and uh, Dawson. And I think uh, Kansas will be a team to to watch out for this final. Kansas-Tennessee is very good. Um, in that game, I think I like Kansas as well. Just, I think, a little bit too much talent, like you talked about earlier in the last podcast. Tennessee was the the hunter last year. They're the hunted this season. But I think this is a a marquee example of them maybe being a little bit overranked to start the season. And this is a big reality check game, I think, for them. I think Kansas edges them. Tennessee uh, is a very good team, but I'm not sure they're quite an elite team. And I think Kansas has too much talent, particularly with the Lawson twins um, and Azubuki in the front. Uh, I think it's going to be a tough one for Grant Williams in terms of the height difference uh, with some of Kansas' bigs. All right. So plus plus your uh, Legerald Vic hasn't missed a shot yet this season.
1: Yeah, that's true. Um, so
0: if that's going to happen, I mean, it's over.
1: Yeah, if a guy if a guy hasn't missed all season, you're if a guy's fifteen of
0: twenty four from three point range, like what can you do with that?
1: Yeah, yeah. No, that's a good point. So I guess kind of the last part of the podcast we're gonna we're gonna kind of talk potential kind of bets and and that sort of thing. But I guess with today. A lot of the lines were pretty high uh, in the Maui Invitational, so we didn't post anything. We didn't want to make any predictions there. Uh, one that we kind of discussed was Auburn against Xavier. At uh, Auburn was 10-point favorites. They ended up winning by 9, so kind of glad that we didn't go with that pick. Uh, the plan is to post some picks tomorrow as we're going to have some some better matchups in the Maui Invitational, as well as a couple other non-conference uh, feast week games and then wednesday thursday friday will be a lot of good matchups and we'll provide uh our picks uh during those days and and probably do episode three over the weekend after thanksgiving just shout out to gus and myself seven two and one on the season
0: five straight guys yep. we're giving you we're giving you free money here you're welcome automatic we're hot
1: yep uh, we
0: had a couple couple bad beats on that opening night. We lost one by, I think, two points, and another one was a push. But since then, 5-0. and oh. Look out for the picks tomorrow, like James said. If you guys don't want to make money, that's on you, because we're giving you picks. We don't have think- to do this. We're being nice. We're giving it to you. We're not hiding our picks. We're throwing them out there. Uh, we're hot right now, so uh, get it while it's hot. We'll have some picks for tomorrow. Definitely keep a lookout over Thanksgiving with all the games on. We're sure to get some uh, some action in, in for the... Uh, on twitter and and we'll uh we'll be posting those throughout the week so keep an eye out for those and uh make some money while uh while you're on vacation here over the thanksgiving break
1: what do you what do you think put put your house up um pink slip of your car i mean it's it's guaranteed money but no all jokes aside non-conference college basketball we've done pretty well over the years and i think it just has has to do with uh, vegas i think there's so many games and so many unknowns. If, if, if you have a good idea on certain teams, the line is either going to be just a little little higher than you think it is or a little lower. And most of the time, if you're going to go with with kind of that gut reaction and it's a team that you know fairly well, that's kind of what we've been going on and, and have done pretty well so far. But yeah, we'd, uh, we'd love to keep uh, making you guys money over, over the Thanksgiving holiday. Um, if we do, we might have to make it this podcast a subscribing one because... We can't just give you guys money for free, but I guess we can. We're doing pretty well ourselves. so.
0: Yep, so keep an eye out. Posting this one uh, Tuesday morning, and we'll have some picks uh, shortly after. So uh, keep an eye out, like we said, for those. Enjoy uh, the rest of the week and all the games, uh, and happy Thanksgiving, everyone, from Gus and James.
1: Uh, take it easy. Yeah, happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Have a good one.